We are here again on a Wednesday. This is December 21st, and uh, we'll be in, the, in, in Deuteronomy. We'll probably read uh, out of Exodus as well, since we're on the Ten Commandments. And I've been looking forward to getting to this part of Deuteronomy. And if you have, if you missed uh, hearing a podcast this past Sunday, sorry about that, but it was, uh, it, it, we had some uh, issues with the recording. So hopefully I can schedule a special time to redo that one and then at least get that um, order for Colossians. So we, we will try to work on that. So if you, were, if you were wondering why you couldn't find it, that's the reason. All right, so I've got quite a bit of information. It, it's going to, it may take a while to get through this section. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, maybe um, multiple Wednesdays to get through this. But we're going to start reading with Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. So, notice the word hear in this first verse of chapter 5. He says, Hear, O Israel. Now, a lot of times we catch ourselves half-heartedly listening to something. We are easily distracted, and sometimes we have to really concentrate and try to get everything else out of the way so we can really pay attention. And Moses is trying so hard to get the nation of Israel to actually not just listen to it, but for it to go in and for it to actually be followed. You know, I, I've worked in um, the business of helping homeowners with yard-type landscaping issues, whether it be uh, planting a yard whether it be spraying for insects or spraying for weeds. And for, for years, you would, you would hear advertisements for a weed killer or an insecticide, and you would hear them say, uh, uh, read the directions or read the label. Well, after a while, they changed that up, and they would say, please read and follow the label because someone would get the product and they would say they would read and it would say two ounces per gallon well you know what if I put four ounces it'll work twice as good no wrong so and I can remember working in those places a couple different places I'm wearing the pullover from one of those places I used to work at that I helped a lot of people and I caught myself many times because these people would come back 
and what went wrong. And, I, and, and instead of asking, did you read the label? I would say, did you read and actually follow and do what the label said? Did you actually do it? Moses is wanting the people to actually hear it and then do it exactly the way it has been said to be done. Because this is the Word of God. So follow it. Don't just hear it and know what He said, but actually do it. That ye, it needs to speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. That's a lot. Very, very detailed in the way he is explaining this to the people. The Lord, verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Now, he's, he's speaking as if the Lord actually presented it to them, but it was actually the generation before them. Moses was around, but most of these people he's talking to now are the second generation. So, what was written down in the Word of God isn't just for the, the generation that was there when it was written, but if it made it into this book right here, if it's one of the books of the Bible in your Holy Bible, then it was not just meant for the people that it was being told at the time, but we're supposed to know about it too. We are. And we are to rightly divide to know which parts that we actually continue to do today, but uh, you need to know that there were little lambs that were slain and their blood was shed for the sins of the nation. But we are to also understand that that was a, that was a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, coming down, and that today we would never take a little lamb and try to take it to the temple for it to be slain for, for, on our behalf. Because we know what Hebrews says. Hopefully, we all know what Hebrews said. And Hebrews says that Jesus is better than those sacrifices. The, all right, verse 3, The Lord made not His covenant made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you. So basically what he said in three is what I just explained. It wasn't just for them. It was for us too and for the next generation and the generation after that and on and on and on. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for ye were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, I am the Lord thy God. So that's what they were hearing. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. That's just the beginning of what we know as the Ten Commandments. Now, he's just reminded them that he is the very God that 
delivered them out of bondage from Egypt. When we, so anytime they would have the Passover meal and celebrate Passover, that was a reminder of that death angel passing over when the blood was applied and them being delivered out of the bondage. When we take communion today and we see the cup and the bread, we see the bread being torn apart. That's Jesus' body being broken for us. And then the cup is the, uh, the blood being shed for us. So likewise, when we see that communion, that should remind us and we should do what Jesus has asked us to do. Just like Moses is telling the nation of Israel, remember what God did for you, the miracles that He did for you to free you. You should want to do these things. And number one was, thou shalt have none other gods before me. That means that you should not have anything in your life that you love more or put more effort into God. And now, the Ten Commandments are something for us to hang on to. We can't be saved by keeping them. But if we make this verse 7, if we take that seriously and we apply it to our hearts, then it should make all the rest of these nine that are following this not burdensome, because if you really love the Lord God, um, just, let's turn over to chapter 6 just for a minute. If you turn over a page to chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, another, hear, hear with your ears, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, that means, because it's way back here in Deuteronomy, that the nation of Israel knew this verse. And when Jesus was walking on this earth, that means that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the lawyers and all those people would have known this first. And they asked Jesus, what is the first commandment? Or what is the greatest commandment? Be thinking about that. I'm going to read a couple more verses from 6, right after, right after that, where it says, uh, this, I just read verse 5 of chapter 6, how you should uh, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and with, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. See, I mean, there's so many stories from our, our nation's founding and wanting to be a Christian nation. Our forefathers loved that verse 
and they took it to heart, and they made sure that the little ones were brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, back over to uh, uh, chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. The second, what we know of as the second commandment, is verse 8, Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. And, you know, you may say, well, why in the world would I want to do anything like that? Well, they were doing it back then. There was all kinds of things that they would take and all kinds of pagan nations around them that would have some big fish that they thought was some type of a god and they worshipped a fish. Actually worship something that was out of the ocean. Or they worshipped something that was on land. Or they would worship something that flew through the air. Peoples of this world have done those things. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. Now notice that it's another thou shalt not, but it's not another commandment. It's still talking about the graven images, the, the things that you can make with your hands, out of wood, stone, whatever. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. <clears throat> now, that is not saying that God allows the sin of a father to transfer to the child and the grandchild and the great-grandchild. He does not hold a great-grandchild responsible for what the great-granddad did. So don't think that that's what this is saying. I've heard many uh, preachings in the past where you, we, we were taught that the issue that you're dealing with is because of what your forefathers did, and it has just, it's, it's a generational curse, and we need to pray over you and get that curse off of you. And then if they prayed over you, it's like, it like a counseling session, basically, and then they were a hero because they prayed this stuff off of you. But um, the consequences of the sins of your forefather, your great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father, though the consequences of those sins can and often do pass down to multiple generations. And you do need to break that cycle, but it's being in Jesus, being introduced to Jesus Christ and being born again. Then you can break it. And at the time that this was written, there were many people who had multiple generations living in the same house. You know, we're in America, we're all trying to get kids kicked out of the house at a very early age. And we have failed as parents if they're not on their, on their way when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. But back then, they had, you know, grandmother was still with them. Possibly great-grandmother was still in the house. And it could have been four generations of, of people living in the same house. And think of, think of the influence 
if there was some iniquity in that family, how it would really be a problem if they were all living together. But if those generations were godly and listened to God's word and were, think of how good that would be. So it can be bad or good, depending. uh, And you'll see it here in a minute. And showing mercy, here it is, unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now that's, all of that was for number two. So the first one is to have no other gods before the one true God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the one true God. Don't let anybody tell you that the Muslims who call God Allah, that that's the same God that you serve and believe in. It's not the same God. They do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead. That disqualifies them. Any, a Jewish person... We are very good friends with the Jews. But if they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's how we have uh, been able to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you can't go with them either. Anybody who discounts Jesus, if you have uh, what Adrian Rogers calls the Jehovah false witnesses come to your door. Did you get that? The Jehovah false witnesses come to your door. Ask them, do, that, do you worship Jesus? That's what you need to ask them when they show up. Be very nice to them and say, do you worship Jesus? And listen to how they answer. And if they can't tell you that they worship Jesus... And if they say, oh yeah, we worship Jesus, then then you say, because he is God in the flesh. But they're probably, they will say something really nice about Jesus and how he needs to be adored and how he was such a great person. Listen real careful and say, no, no, no. I ask, did you or do you worship Jesus? Because their Bible that they carry around is the New World Translation. And anywhere in that New World Translation, you will see the verses that in the King James Bible will say, and they, they uh, ran up to Jesus and bowed down and worshipped him. It won't, the worship part won't be in their Bible. It'll be, they ran up to Jesus and bowed down, but it won't say worship. They do not believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity. They don't believe that. Everything else they say will get you thinking that they're on the right track and they just love everybody and they just want what's best for you, but they do not recognize Jesus as deity. All right, number, th- number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So, if you was to say, God told me, listen up everybody, God told me, and I'm going to tell you, you know, if, if you really didn't get something from God, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. 
if, you, if I stand up here and preach the Word of God to you and tell you how He has delivered me and, all that, and then I go out and do sinful things, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. If you come to church and you act all great here at church but then go out into the world and do sinful things, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. There's all kinds of ways that you bring dishonor to the name of our Lord. Many different ways you can do it. Now, number four, which is verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou... thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass or donkey, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. 15, and remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Now that's quite a bit of information there. It's quite a bit uh, from 12... 13, 14, 15, and there's some two really big verses there that take up this deal about the Sabbath. Now, in Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day. Now, this, this is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8, starting with verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. So here it says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. All right, back over to Exodus 20, verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son. And, and it, it basically says the same thing all over again. And then 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. See, that's different than what you see over in, uh, in Deuteronomy. So in Exodus, it's more connected with creation. And then in Deuteronomy, it's more connected with you were a servant in Egypt, and now that you're not, you may have servants now, but make sure that you allow them to rest on that Sabbath day. Now, listen carefully. All of the Ten Commandments, think of all of them. We haven't read them all yet, but we will. But I want you to think in the New Testament, all of these things are repeated except for this one, the Sabbath. 
we are we as Christians in the New Testament church have are never told to keep the Sabbath, but we are to. Re- I think we're to remember it just like the Jewish nation was to remember it and to keep it. Now we have to be careful about trying to keep the Sabbath. All right, listen to this. The Sabbath is a Saturday, right? All right, it, and you're instructed to work six days and then rest. Well, in the New Testament church, we're in the church age. We are instructed to meet on the first day of the week, and that's the day of rest. So in the New Testament, we are instructed to rest and then do our work. See how it's totally opposite. In the Old Testament, you work for six days, and then you enter into rest. But if you try to work your way into the rest of Jesus Christ, you're not going to do it. You you can't do it. You cannot work enough to be able to get into the rest of Jesus Christ. We are instructed to enter the rest of Jesus so that we can do good Christian works after being saved. Huge difference, isn't it? Now, we can get, easily get caught up in trying to work to be able to, to work up enough uh, time to where we feel like we're justified now to enter into His rest. Well, don't ever go there. Enter into His rest on the first day of the week, and then that will enable you to go out and do the works for God. Now, on a very natural, carnal level, just a human level, yeah, we, we might think, yeah, we're working, we're working our six-day work week and then we're going to have a day of rest. It's a good principle. You need to have that time. But when it comes to the spiritual side of things, make sure you enter into His rest first. That's why we meet on the first day of the week. The reason we do it is because the example of it is in our Bibles. In the New Testament, that is what they did. They met on the Lord's day, the day He ascended, well, the day that He was resurrected out of the grave. Is a better way to put it. Alright, so, just out of curiosity, I was looking through my uh, Strong's Concordance. I looked up Sabbath, and to see how many times in the Bible the word Sabbath is used. Not Sabbaths, but just the word Sabbath. I mean, I looked at Sabbaths as well. And it was 137 times. And then I looked at where it was in the Bible. And it is throughout the Old Testament quite a bit, as you would expect. And then when you get to the New Testament... You see quite a bit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then only, at, once you get through Acts, it ends, and you don't see any mention of a Sabbath except for one place that Paul or any of the other epistle writers, only one other place in the New Testament. Once you get through Acts, 
And it's in, we just read it recently on a Sunday, and it's about don't let anybody judge you uh, of the new moons, of Sabbath days, you know. It, it's, it's basically saying you shouldn't be doing that. Don't let anybody judge you on, about the Sabbath days. And that's, that's Colossians uh, 2.16. And then as far as Sabbaths, multiple, uh, verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, that's Exodus, and it's all Old Testament. There's nothing in the New Testament when it comes to Sabbaths. Okay, so how many times is the word Sabbath in the, in the Bible? I just, I just said it. 137, very good, 137. What about sanctuary? Sanctuary. I, I was looking up Sabbath. I was looking up synagogue. I was looking up uh, sanctuary. You know how many times the word sanctuary is in the Bible? 137. And sanctuary... It's all in the Old Testament. It starts in Exodus, and it goes through several of the books of the Bible. Oh, something else about Sabbath. I told you there was many places that it's in the Old Testament. You know how big Psalms is. All the book, books of the Psalms. Sabbath is not in any psalm at all. It's only in a title of Psalm 92. I didn't, you know, some, some of the psalms don't have a title, but as you read down through the psalms, some of them have titles above them, and that's actually part of the Word of God. I didn't realize that. But it's a title of the psalm, so the title of Psalm 92, it says, a psalm or song for the Sabbath day. But there's no other reference in the King James Bible of Sabbath being in the Psalms. I thought that was very strange. Something that kind of stuck out to me. Okay, now back to sanctuary. All right, sanctuary. 137 times. And it is all through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, bunch, bunch in Numbers. Quite a bit in Psalms. And then you get over to the end, it's in the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel. It's in, it's in Jeremiah once, but in Lamentations, which Jeremiah wrote three times. Quite a bit in Ezekiel, a lot, a whole lot in Ezekiel. A little bit in Daniel, Zephaniah. Only four places in the uh, New Testament do you see the word sanctuary and it all has to do with Hebrews 8 and 9 and 13 talking about the Old Testament and how the priest would go into the sanctuary to offer bulls and goats and those types of things. Interesting. What about synagogue? Synagogue is in the Bible 43 times, and it's all New Testament. There's not a mention of synagogue. Well, I can't say that. There's one mention of synagogue, and it's synagogues 
of, of God, and that is Psalm 74. It says, all the synagogues of God in the land. So it's talking about breaking up. Something about, it's, it's a prophecy that that's going to happen. But that's the only time a synagogue is mentioned. Now you would think that synagogue would be an Old Testament thing. Through and through. But when you look, it starts in Matthew chapter 12. And it goes through Acts. And then you don't see the word synagogue in the New Testament until you get to Revelation 2 and 3, and it's saying that, talking about the synagogue of Satan, both times in Revelation. The synagogue of Satan. But it's just all over the place in uh, the Gospels. So where did the synagogues come from? So sometime, sometime after the Old Testament closes and the New Testament opens up, a whole bunch of synagogues have been built. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, they're everywhere. But it wasn't Old Testament. What's that? Exactly. That's exactly right. So when they were in captivity, especially in Babylon, they got the ideas of creating these little places to where they could meet and to read the law of Moses, where they could read the prophets, where they could pray. So they needed to have these little places. So a synagogue is one type of sanctuary. The temple could be a sanctuary. And a certain part of the temple would only be a, a safe place for the right priest to go into. You, you better not be one that wasn't supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. It was only safe for one person. So a sanctuary, we call this a sanctuary. Because this is supposed to be a safe place. You heard of sanctuary cities? That's where you should, you're supposed to be able to go and be safe. I just thought that that was interesting how we need to pay very close attention to Old Testament things and New Testament things and synagogues were put in place and we have no record of any of that because it's in between the two testaments. So archaeological findings of old synagogues, you could tell that they were built in that 400-year period, and a whole bunch of them built right before the New Testament opens up. And then there were several that were, were built in the, the first and second and even third centuries AD. Synagogues were built. Now, today... We recognize, when you hear the word synagogue, what do you think? What is, who is it for? The Jewish people. So if you hear on the news that uh, people were harassed at a synagogue, it's the Jewish church. That's what they, they meet at synagogues even today. Christian churches would not call their church a synagogue. And I think the reason is it was not mentioned at all in the New Testament, and ne except after 
Acts, when the, so you have the transition. The Gospels were mostly history, and then Acts is the transition of getting the Gospel out to all the nations. And once that happens, and you get into the uh, Pauline epistles, and all the rest of the New Testament, they're not talking about synagogues. They don't even mention them anymore. They're meeting in houses. They're, they're meeting house to house and, and those types of things. Now we know that they probably met in synagogues, but they just didn't use the word, except in Revelation when it's the synagogue of Satan, which is definitely not good. And that's what happens to uh, the synagogues when you leave Jesus out. It becomes a synagogue of Satan. Now, I want, I want you to think about what I just said about some of these other so-called religions. And the thing that they leave out is the Trinity. They, they leave Jesus out. <clears throat> if I said, how are you sanctified? Who's responsible for you being sanctified? That's the question. How do you, individually, how are you sanctified? And here's your, here's your here's multiple choice. A... God the Father, B, God the Son, or C, God the Holy Spirit. Do you want another? How about D, all of the above? She was waiting for D. So the answer is yes. How are you sanctified? Are you sanctified by God the Father, or are you sanctified by God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? Yes. All of the above. Here's the verses that back it up. Jude. Remember, if anybody tells you to turn to Jude chapter 2, do not even start looking for it. There's only one chapter. Jude, first and second verse. This is how, it, how, it, how it, Jude he introduces himself. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So it says it right there. That are sanctified by God the Father. That's who he's writing Jude to. The book of Jude, he's writing that letter to, uh, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. And then he says, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And here's another few verses. This is Hebrews chapter 2. If somebody tells you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, go for it. Starting with verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the, than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, Jesus, he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. You hear that? Every man. For it became, 
For it became Him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both He, Jesus, that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause He, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. So, Jesus, He that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified, you, are all of one. So that's Jesus, God the Son. Now, the next one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now that's uh, Jude has told you about being sanctified by God the Father. There's Peter telling you that you're sanctified of the Spirit. Now what's really cool about what Peter, that verse right there, that small verse says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Trinity is all in that one verse. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And then the writer of Hebrews, which was probably Paul, but the writer of Hebrews, he said, sanctified through Jesus Christ. Now, sanctified, sanctuary, entering into the rest of Jesus, entering into His rest. You know, Jesus got in trouble with the religious elite over and over again about not keeping the Sabbath the right way when He was the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. But the religious people saw the nation of Israel failing in keeping the Sabbath for all those years would just make more and more regulations attached to the Sabbath to where it became burdensome. So you'll see that. Today you will see a law on the books and people disregard it. They won't follow it. And the, these people we elect go in there and say, we need to make another law. And they make another law, and then they pass another law and another law, and they never, ever address the first issue. They're not following the first one. Why do you think they're going to follow all these others? And now you have a code book that is huge, and you really haven't fixed anything. You just made it extremely complicated for people who want to be law-abiding citizens. Take care of the ones who don't obey. Address the issue. But they did, that's what they did with the Sabbath. They, they kept adding little pieces to it, more and more code, and made it to where it was burdensome. It was no rest involved at all. Because you never did it quite right. You always messed it up somehow because you could never follow all of the rules. Legalism. 
So, Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath. Again, we need to see the principle of it, but be so careful not to try to keep the Sabbath for the sake of pleasing God. That was made, that Sabbath rest was Old Testament. It was for the nation of Israel. It was never told to any new believer in the church age. No one was ever instructed to keep the Sabbath. We have plenty of, uh, well, we have a, a, a number of denominations that go to church on Saturdays because they want to keep the Sabbath. And that's why they go to church. That's one of their main reasons for going to church on Saturday because it's the true Sabbath, and it is. But we are not instructed to keep the Sabbath. And those people, I fear that they're trying to work for their salvation by doing all these legalistic things. They're, they, they haven't figured out that you've got to enter into Jesus Christ and His rest, then you will do good works for Him. So we got through what? Four of the ten. Four of the ten. Now, before we finish, I would like to show you in the New Testament where the great the greatest commandments are. Remember when we flipped over to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy and talked about how you uh, need to love the Lord God with all, all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy might. It's in, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you turn to Matthew, because this is, what we, this is, this is the, the greatest commandments. These are the ones that Jesus told us to keep. Instead of adding a whole bunch of stuff, he reduced it. Jesus was very wise. Jesus was awesome. He was much needed Savior, a much needed Savior. And if we could just, if we can be more like Jesus, you know, tell our representatives, be more like Jesus, reduce the laws, don't quit adding so many to it. Look what Jesus did. All right, starting with uh, verse 20, I mean, uh, let's see. This is Matthew 22, starting with 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, oh, they were probably giggling. So here they come running, and they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, oh, that's bad news, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now in Matthew it just shares three. Now over in Deuteronomy it shared three. It said might. This one says mind. But Jesus can say exactly what he wants to say. And it's going to be even different when we get over to Mark. I like Mark's version the best. All of them are very, very good, but I kind of like Mark's. Okay, so all, with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Talk about reducing. I still need, that's not my gift. I, mean, I, I need to do that. I mean, I, I think the more I write down, the more I talk about, the better it is. But no, I've got to reduce Mark, for, uh, chapter 12, starting with verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So the first, you would, you would, if you had to rate all of them, what would be number one? Is kind of how he's asking this. Another way of saying, what's the greatest? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, that sounds a whole lot like Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus was very known for repeating a lot of stuff out of Deuteronomy. Remember when he was tempted by the devil? Every time he said, For it is written, all of them came from Deuteronomy. All right. And... This is verse 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Four of them there. Because might, that's strength. And M-I, might, and mind, maybe. I don't know. But it, pretty cool. I love it. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. See, he says it a little differently than he did over Matthew. Now look at what, look at what he says after this. And it's missing from Matthew, but he's got more to say. And the scribe said unto him, this is, what the, this is the response he got from the scribe. Said unto him, Well, master... Thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's a really good response. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> and no man after that durst ask him any question. That's, I mean, imagine this guy and Jesus telling him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't say, kingdom of God, I would be surprised if that would have been in Matthew. But there is five times where you do see kingdom of God in Matthew. All the other times was kingdom of heaven, of course. Okay, now, that's Mark. Now you, now you know why I really like Mark's version of it. And then in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't ask what the greatest commandment was. He's asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. This guy, he's saying what Jesus has said before. But Jesus has stopped him and says, You should know. And he does. And he said it. So Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And then the guy said, uh, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then you go into the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you notice that the rich young, remember the rich young, rich young ruler, he asked the same, basically the same thing, and Jesus said, keep the commandments. And then he named five of them. Jesus named only five. And then the guy was smart enough to know there's got to be more to it than that. Because I've done all those things, and I still feel like I am lost. And Jesus was like, yeah, you are. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And he went away sad. But Jesus seemed like he offered him a way to salvation and, and eternal life by keeping commandments. All of us know better. You can do your best to keep those Ten Commandments, and at the end of the day, the end of the month, the end of your life, you will know for sure you didn't do good enough, and you are doomed. You must find Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the rest that only Jesus can offer. And Father, I pray that each and every person who searches for that way of eternal life will turn to Jesus. Father, you knew from before that that was the only way. And Father, you have sent the Holy Spirit out. Father, your word has gone through this earth, all over this earth, your word and your Holy Spirit, and it has come together in the hearts of men, just people. You, think, you have thought enough about each and every one of us individually that you have sent your word and your spirit to come together inside of a mere human being and Father, if we are convicted, if we feel the conviction and we believe the Word and we are led by the Holy Ghost and we actually follow, something wonderful happens. Father, I pray each and every person who hears Your Word and feels Your Spirit will make that choice. Thank You, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.